Hello and welcome to the second season of All I Know. My name is Jen Winkleman and I'm your host for this time where we gather together as if we're around a little campfire and we're there to listen as everyday people tell us some of their stories. Here at this show, we believe that behind every single face, there are stories. And in every story, there are lessons for life that are waiting to be learned by the rest of us. So today, our guest and I will have a largely unscripted conversation, aside from the anchor questions that we use to get into our interviews. And then as our guest story unfolds, if you and I choose to do so, we can catch the truth and knowledge and wisdom that's being shared with us like little fireflies in a jar and then use that as light for our own paths in life. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. Welcome back, everybody, for the final episode in this series. Where we left off last time was my best friend, Catherine, saying that she really needed to talk to me on a particular day in July. And you're going to hear that story today, but before we dive in there, we're actually gonna back up about five minutes so that we can recap the start of this relationship in the United States. Um, So thank you for joining us for today's conversation. If you haven't listened to the first and second episodes in this series, I would suggest that you back up and pick those up first. It'll make today's conversation make a lot more sense. Thanks for being here. And so I took the leap. I applied for a K-1 visa. It was granted. And he came to the United States on Christmas Day of 2010. And that started the clock for our 90 days. At the time, I wasn't sure that we were going to get married, but it makes me nervous actually to to talk about some of this because I don't know if, I don't know how immigration would feel about what I'm saying. You know, if this would feel like I'm working the system or committed some sort of fraud. I don't know what scares me to, but anyway, I didn't know for sure if we were going to get married. The plan was to use that 90 days to see if we could get there. And if we couldn't, then he was go- he was going to go home. That was the way that it started. And the 90 days was tough. Um, it is really hard to be somebody's partner, but help them to assimilate to a new place to mm-hmm. live. The language barrier. Culturally, I think it was really difficult because it was hard for him that I was the worker. I mean, he couldn't. He couldn't work until his work permit came through, and that was way later in the process. So it was very hard for him for me to get up and leave the house and be gone all day working um, as a woman when he's home. Interesting. And it was hard for him for me to, you know, drive by myself. (laughs) And so we would have that conversation a lot where I would remind him, you know, I'm an American this is very different for me. I look at this very differently than you do. Like he thought a man should be with you while you were driving. Yeah. Or that a man should drive. And he would, I mean, we would laugh about these things. He wasn't, he wasn't rigid in them in a way where it was a conflict or a problem. But I think culturally it was hard for him 
to be home when I was being independent. You know, if we were in Albania, I couldn't leave the compound without a male escort. And that was under the guise of safety. And quite frankly, I mean, I didn't have any reason or desire to leave the compound without an escort. If I had lived there, I probably would have gotten to a place where I wanted for sure to be more independent. Yeah. But at the time that I was there, you know, that wasn't a problem for me. I actually welcomed the company because I had no idea where I was or what I was right. doing. So that helped me feel safer. Anyway, so that 90 days was really, really tough. And it got to a place where we were starting to run out of time. And it was not clear what should be happening with the relationship. I wasn't ready to get married. But I also wasn't ready to ask him to go home. I felt like we needed more time. And so the arrangement that we agreed on was that we were going to have a legal ceremony. We were going to get married on paper so that we could meet that standard for immigration and, and trigger the next step in the K-1 process. But that we would wait to have a religious ceremony until we were sure that we wanted to be married. Until I was sure. Because he was pretty sure. He was sure. He, he, I mean, he knew from day one he wanted to marry you. Well, at least that's what he said. Right? So, yeah, until I was sure we weren't going to have a religious ceremony. So that meant that we were not commingling finances. I wasn't taking his name. He had his room. I had mine. And we were, you know, going to continue to explore our relationship trying to like get to the bottom of it and get to a place where it felt good to move forward with a religious or spiritual ceremony. So we just needed to wait and see what was going to happen. And in early July, I got a phone call from Catherine, the, the, the friend who was there in all of these. Yeah. She is pivotal. In she these. is pivotal. She is pivotal. Love her. She calls me and she says, I've got to see you today. I, I need to talk to you. And I was like, okay. So I made arrangements after work to hang out with her. And by this time, the Albanian was working. He had his work permit because we had filed the marriage paperwork. And so, you know, there were other steps that were able. So he was working at a restaurant. And so I think he had actually had to work that night, which is part of what made it so easy for me to make those plans with Catherine because it didn't interfere with anything that would have been going on with him. But anyway... So I go over to her apartment and she says, I have to tell you something. And I'm like, okay, you know what? And she starts launching into this story about how she's at, she's a nurse. So she's at work that day and she's chatting with another nurse and they're visiting about their weekend. And this other nurse says to her that their family went to dinner at the restaurant where the Albanian works. Of course, this girl knows nothing about the Albanian, but Catherine knows that's right. where he works. And they're talking about the food, and it's so good. And, and the nurse adds on, and this so cool thing happened to my sister because there's this foreigner who's working there, and he and my sister were just flirting so much, and they're going to go on a date, and, you know, it was so much fun and so exciting, blah, blah, blah. And Catherine's sort of putting puzzle pieces together and feeling a little bit worried that this foreigner that this family is discussing 
might actually be the Albanian. So she asks her friend, do you have this guy's phone number? That nurse ends up calling her sister and getting the phone number and Catherine calls it and it's the Albanian. So he had been trying to put a relationship together with this young lady that he met at work. And obviously I, you know, I'm furious and beside myself and trying to figure out what's going on. And she's, she says to me, you know, you have to decide what you're going to do with this, but I just couldn't not tell you. I didn't go home that night, which I remember was very jarring and upsetting for him. And I think it was within 24 hours that I confronted him with what I had learned. And it was a very emotional, tearful, messy conversation. And we sort of crashed into each other around it for a couple of days. And it was really tricky because at the time, I think we were like 10 days away from having our interview at immigration. So after you file your marriage paperwork, one of the next steps is having an interview with an immigration officer where they ask questions basically to ensure that you're not committing fraud on the system and that nobody's been bought in this situation and that it's actually a legitimate relationship. So I know that this interview is coming and in the meantime, I'm confronted with this horrible reality of what he's doing at the restaurant and I'm, I have no idea how to reconcile these things. So I put him on a bus to the East Coast to go visit the cousin who had been translating for us that night on the beach since he is on the East Coast and just told the Albanian that I needed some time to try and sort things out. That trip obviously took a couple of days on the bus. So while he was still in transit, I don't know how I got it in my mind that I should check and see if he had had contact with that oh, girl. No. <laughs> oh, no. I had never dug into the phone bill before, but of course I'm paying for all these things, so I have access to them very easily. And I'm getting into the phone bill to sort of assess and look at the phone numbers he's been calling and do any of them belong to this girl from the restaurant. And what I find is tons of phone numbers and phone calls happening at all hours of the night for all lengths of time. And I'm like, who who are the his world is pretty small here, right? I mean, he's got this other woman from Albania in his English class, like a little grandmother type that he had befriended. So I knew, you know, he might talk to her. And then there were a couple of work contacts and then my family and a couple of my friends who were really invested in trying to help him assimilate and, you know, give me support. But then I know those phone numbers and these are all numbers. What are these? So I start calling them. And of course, they're all women. And these phone bills that have these crazy phone calls go all the way back to January. So within like a week or two Stop. of like his arriving arrival on American soil. Yeah. Calling other people. Right. And so after that discovery, sounds came out of my body that I did not know I could make with my voice because I was so pained, so betrayed and just in complete agony that this was happening. 
I could not process that I had taken these risks and that this was the outcome, that, that betrayal was again the outcome of the risks that I had taken. And I wasn't even comfortable with all of my risks, you know? Every decision I was making was calculated. I wasn't 100% on all of this. I was trying so hard to pray about it, to seek God's guidance for my life, to be consistent with my values, to to give myself a real chance at building a life with someone. And I was excited about the possibility of this because my goodness, you know, I maybe I didn't have a love story like I thought I would, you know, coming out of college, but I had this love story a little bit later in life where it's, you know, with someone from overseas and together we build the American dream and have children and I don't and you had so much invested in it too. Like it's no small feat to fly to Albania for New Year's. <laughs> no. no, I mean, the net of this Let mistake alone. is probably, you know, twenty-five dollars or $30,000 at the end of the day, which doesn't even, you know, calculate some of the daily living expenses stuff that we were dealing with when he came. But emotionally, yes, a ton was invested because the reason that I made the decisions that I made in terms of taking the risks, petitioning for the visa, going to visit him over the new year in Albania, all those things came from, if I don't try, I think I will wind up single. And then the story I will have to tell myself is you were too, the reason you're single is because you were too afraid. Because if you had, there was a person for you. What if? There was a person for you, and if you had taken the leap, then you would be happy. Then you would be a mom. Then you would be married. Then you would have the life that you dreamed you were going to have. And so I, I took those risks, even though I was trepidatious about it, because I was fighting for what I wanted. So after he was put on the bus to the East Coast, he never came back to Colorado at my invitation. Yeah, he's not really ever given up on you. Well, I think he has now. There was a period of years where he would cycle in, and I'm sure it was when, you know, when the next relationship was on the rocks, I think he would get nostalgic about me. But I just couldn't get past the volume of women, the amount of time, how vulnerable I had made myself in trying to make this relationship work and that that was the return. I mean, really, when I discovered this, it was like the Iron Curtain went up. And I... It was a deal breaker. Yeah, it was 100% a deal breaker. And there was going to be no going to counseling. Right, I was just going to (laughs) say. There was no... No investing in mm -hmm. trying to work it out. You were done. Yeah. And so before I ever even got to like be married or feel married I had to file for a divorce and that divorce was was final by Christmas time what a humiliating experience that hearing was that judge was less than gentle about my divorce petition (laughs) really yeah it was horrible 
like the stereotypical patriarchal it was a woman oh it was a woman actually um but yeah she definitely threw a couple jabs about the length of the marriage and kind of the absurdity of it why why is that necessary like just i don't know who knows hang your gavel and be done who knows so do you regret your relationship with the albanian i really wish that everything had come to light before that legal marriage step had been taken because I really hate that as a matter of public record, I have a marriage and a divorce associated with my name, even though that doesn't even feel like my truth or my experience. Yeah. I'm curious what that, what that's about. Cause to me, this is like that perfectionistic thing coming up again. Like, I'm not sure why you consider that to be a strike against yourself. There's plenty of people. I don't know if it's a strike, but I just, I do so highly value marriage. Maybe having been through what I went through as a child of divorce with my parents, you know, legally it's an equivalent thing that happened between my parents and what happened in my legal marriage with the Albanian. But they are not like it's not the same thing. No, not so at it's all. so frustrating to me that this legal weight applies when it doesn't apply. I don't know that it's about perfectionism. It just feels like it's not the right term for actually what happened. Just like even though legally we were married, it did not feel anything close to marriage or partnership. Because you still feel like you never experienced marriage. Yeah. And so it kind of feels like I'm getting robbed, you know, Yeah. of that. You've been married and divorced, but you've been robbed of, of but, truly being, of but I was never married. marriage. Yeah. Yeah. So how is that possible? I mean, it's just kind of the mindfuckery of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think it's about the perfectionism. Okay. Piece. Yeah. No. And that's just, yes, I totally understand that. It's me grasping. Yeah. That there's something more meaningful there for you. And I just couldn't quite put words to it. Like, it's another loss. It's another heartache. It is another loss because I went into that relationship. I mean, how old was I? I think I was 33 when I met him. And so I went into that relationship thinking, knowing, you know, if it doesn't work out, that it takes time for me to heal and all this kind of stuff. I kind of went in knowing if this doesn't work, this is my last opportunity. He's getting my last go at being able to have children. I felt I was investing that. I was laying those chips on this person. Because if the relationship didn't work out, by the time I was out of it and had healed from it, the odds that I'd be able to find a new relationship and take that relationship to a place where we would be building a family were very low. Just biologically, the odds were against me. So, yeah, it felt like a loss for that. And it was another, another betrayal. Yeah. All three of these relationships had really emotionally devastating breakups. It's yeah. not, you were just like, you It's know, not like you it just what? didn't work out. <laughs> I cannot take your obsession with soccer and that you're always playing with soccer and you never have time for me. Like, I mean, these were really emotionally devastating breakups. Yeah. And it's like every single time it got worse after the breakup. 
You know, like you find <laughs> That's out. so true. He's flirting and swapping phone, that the Albanian, you know, swapped phone numbers with a customer at a restaurant. Right. But it's so much worse. It's so much worse than you knew. Yeah. Yeah. And then with that second one, the guy that I met at church, it was like, oh man, we don't want the same things. But six months later, it's so much worse. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Makes you a little gun shy. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's like you kept taking risks and each time, I mean, I don't know that the second one was worse than the first, but. I don't think so. I I mean, in my mind, I feel like the first and the third way heavier than the second in, in terms of my emotional experience. And I actually. You got so much more invested emotionally in the first and the Albanian. Yeah. 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 They're just, I don't know. They're, they're different. They're just different. Yeah. And I think I weathered the break with the Albanian actually so much better than I could have because as I was losing that relationship and facing that loss, I actually experienced another really profound mm-hmm. loss. And I think that that gave me some perspective. So what happened was that some family friends that I had had were in an accident and my friend and the three daughters all perished in the accident. The dad and husband survived. That was like 10 days after the Albanian had been put on the bus. So things were very tumultuous that summer. I mean, it was, I was a mess. I was a mess. And I think that at the time, it really did feel like this is one of the most horrible things that could ever happen to me. The risks I had taken in relationship prior, the risks I took with this relationship, and then this is the yield. This is one of the worst things that could ever happen. And that was the story I was telling myself when my friend Laurel and her daughters died. And as horrible as it is to say, I actually think that is one of the gifts to me in their death was some perspective. I think I grieved and weathered the loss of the relationship with the Albanian better than I would have. Their loss really eclipsed and it felt more important. It felt bigger. I was able even though what happened to me with the Albanian was really sad, I was able to dismiss some things because what happened with Laurel and the girls was so much more profound and so much more sacred to me. And so in an odd way, that loss, I think, helped me get through the loss of the Albanian. Yeah, yeah. It gave you that perspective. And when you lost Laurel and the girls that loss showed you what you actually had with the Albanian and that maybe it oh, wasn't he was so awful about what that. you thought you had with him. Yeah. I mean, I know it's not worth getting into, but some of the things he said to me in the wake of that were loss disgusting. were disgusting. It revealed um, character that is definitely not compatible with me. And that probably helped to close the door too, mm-hmm. even though it was painful. So, yeah, I've just really um, refused his access to me since that time. And it, I mean, he did kind of keep it up here. It was like a weird whack-a-mole 
you know, for yeah. years. But years for years, not like three years, years. But it, but it's. I mean, I haven't heard from him in a long time, and you know, knock yeah. on wood, I won't. So, coming back to what you know to be true, mm-hmm. what what's your takeaway for us as you've shared all this of your story, even in spite of the losses and how devastating some of this stuff was, I do believe that. God is sovereign and that even in these gigantic messes that I was spared. If we look at this most recent relationship, what are the odds that that nurse would have talked to Catherine that day about this totally, you know, benign, innocent family dinner that they, I mean, there's just no reason to go. What are the odds that they went to that restaurant and she works with Kat. I mean, it's just all these little like synchronicities that ended up protecting me because if I had never known about that girl at the restaurant, I never would have looked at the phone bill and who knows where the relationship would have gone. Who knows how much longer it would have gone. What if we had gotten to the place where there was a religious ceremony or spiritual ceremony? What if you and I were sitting here having this conversation and I had an eight year old in the mix. It could have been worse. I was spared a lot. For me though, knowing you, the like I'm ha- I'm getting more clarity on the it could have been worse lesson is that for you who feels things so intensely, not in a healthy way. Like I want our listeners to understand that when we talk about how you experience life, you are an empath you are like a barometer like you can sense not just that something is off about one of your friends but you have such an emotional connection and so this thread of it you've been spared your love for Laurel and the girls protected you from some of the betrayal that you experienced with the Albanian and so to me, that's that's what I'm taking away from this conversation is this new appreciation of the value of your living in your emotions with such depth, with such breadth, is that you're not only experiencing life fully and in the moment all the time, but having those true authentic experiences and having that true authentic love protects you in ways that you're not expecting. Like to me, I feel like this story has almost reversed in my understanding of you of that. The story is really about love that your love for Laurel and her girls really protected you that unyielding. I don't want to use the word perfect. um, Lovely love that you felt in childhood protected you it created this life for you that protected you from like teenage middle school high school angst Mm. um you know that love that you had in college with that on again off again number one relationship protected you from some of the loss of your parents divorce you know you have been spared a lot because your ability to love so big buys you a little cushion i think in the universe And I know this isn't making a lot of sense, but 
I'm just like, as we're sitting here recording this, and I've known these stories for decades, like I'm just understanding you in a different way. Hmm. Well, what you're saying is definitely food for thought for me. I mean, I have felt like the lover in me is a huge liability and has brought me a lot of pain. Um, Because I think you're more open to it. You have this ability to have gone into all of your romantic relationships. You go into it and there's no skepticism. There's no like side eye, like what's this about? This is too good to be true. No, you fully go into every relationship, whether it's a friendship a relationship with a family member, but specifically with a potential or with romantic partners, you go into those romantic relationships fully open. Oh, see, that's so interesting. Despite your past misgivings and betrayals. Yeah, I don't see myself that way at all. But that's great. I definitely see you that way. I'm glad that you do, and maybe there's something to that. I wish that I could engage that way, but I can't help but... I mean... Something in these experiences has trained me a bit, too. And I am more cautious. I am way more cautious. So, yeah, I mean, to summarize, I think what I know is that even in a situation that may be devastating to you, I think if you're able to, like, turn it, twist it, examine it at a different angle, you can find that there are things that you have been spared and that those are blessings and expressions of love from God even while you're wearing flesh and walking around on the earth trying to figure out how to make a go of it that may be as devastating as that betrayal was with the Albanian you were spared from creating a life having children with somebody that you couldn't trust right right I'm so glad I don't have to co-parent with this person that would be can you imagine hideous hideous on so many levels that I can't even I can't even see and and in that second relationship you know thank goodness that it ended when and how it did and that even though he didn't have the courage to say I don't want to have kids with you I don't want to marry you I want to do those things but I don't want to do them with you even though he didn't have the courage to say that I mean, thank God we didn't get further in our story because I would be in a marriage that maybe would have ended by now, who knows, you know, with someone who didn't really want to be with me. And I think we all know that that's a recipe for disaster, you know? And I think as, you know, as a single woman, you understand what you've been spared by not getting what you thought you wanted from those three relationships. Yeah. And I definitely, I mean, going back to the first one, you know, I definitely didn't have the, the, um, value of that kind of hindsight or vision, you know, when I was 23, but now I can be grateful for those heartbreaks, even though I don't like them. They weren't fun. They were horrible. They've shaped me a lot. They've impacted me a lot. But the fact that they happened spared me something worse. It's kind of like you thought that was bad. Well, and it's so hard. Could have been so much worse. I think it's so hard to know what you want, what you truly want in your 20s. I think it's so hard to really know what, what you want. 
I mean, that's a whole other topic. It is. It is. <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. So the way that you conclude with each of your guests is to go through the Bernard Prevost checklist. Uh-huh. So let's do that. Okay. Um, this is my favorite. I love these the series of questions that it's you the asked. linguist in you. It is for totally. What's your favorite word? Love. I love that. I love what a romantic you are. Can I just say that? What's your least favorite word? Albania. <laughs> really? I don't know. Right now it is. Albania. Albania. What turns you on? Somebody who is reflective and self-assessing tries to exercise some measure of insight about themselves and their behavior and the way that it plays out in relationship. Also, ballroom dancing. Mm. <laughs> You've been so on my case about the dancing thing. So yeah. there you go. So thank you, Jen, in the very last minute <laughs> of us recording for bringing up a major part oh, of your personal yeah. life. What sound do you love? It's really hard for me to depart from the answer that I gave the very first time you interviewed me because I remember talking about the sound of my nephew saying my name. He calls me Tita. And uh, at the time, my niece was too young. She wasn't she wasn't speaking yet, so she wasn't saying my name. But I think my favorite sound is when they use my name. Hmm. What sound do you hate? I'm going to say construction, and especially hmm. like a jackhammer. Okay. What's your favorite curse word? Oh, F-bomb. Tried and true. How come whenever we do this, you never just say it? I want you to just be like, fuck. Fuck. Oh, you just said that to placate me. You <laughs> was, was it what you wanted it to be? I wanted it to be emphatic. Oh. Fuck. But I don't feel that way right now. No, you don't. But when I do feel that way, it will be emphatic. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I think I am attempting it right now with this little podcasting venture we're on. I, mean, I, I remember talking about having had this dream in my early 20s of hosting a radio show, and this is kind of an equivalent to that. I mean, Definitely. it's not exactly the same, but it's proximal. It's a 21st century version of a talk show for sure. So I think I'm doing it. What profession other than your own would you not want to do? Taxi driver. Really? Yeah. Not good at small talk. And I feel like that would be an entire day of just like chit-chatting strangers. And that just seems so draining to me. I would have never said you're not good at small talk. But oh. it's been so long since I've seen you engage in small talk. I don't know that that's... Valid. Well, maybe I can do it. I just don't like it. Mm -hmm. So it just seems like, you know, so boring. Definitely draining. Plus too much sitting. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I think I would like to hear him say, you know, that kind of classic thing that has been pulled from the Bible around, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. I hope that in all the mistakes I make and in all the mess that is 
my humanity and, you know, the whole lot of it. I believe that he can still see my earnestness and my effort to try to do well with what he has given me and with what he's spared me. And so I hope that at the net of it, he's pleased with that. I have no doubt that will happen for you. You've helped so many children and families, and you've been such a faithful friend to so many people and a really loyal person to your family, to your friends, to your clients. You're always there. I try. I know it's not perfect. You know, I know it's not perfect, but I definitely try and I definitely prioritize that. Thank you for telling us what you know. You're all you know. Thank you for listening. I feel like we just went on and on. Everybody's probably like, (laughs) Jess, give her the hook. (laughs) (laughs) Jess, cut her off for the love of God. We're done. It's a great sharing. And I know it was hard for you. So I appreciate you persevering and working through the discomfort. Thank you. I hope that I did right by... Um, sharing some of my experience without, you know, that thing I was saying about, it's not just my story to tell. I hope I haven't, you know, hurt anybody with the things that I have said. So I, I hope I did okay with that, but you did. We'll see. (laughs) Okay, friends. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening in today. When our guests agree to be vulnerable with us and to share from the well of their life experience, one of the best ways that we can acknowledge that kind of courage is to communicate that what has been shared has fallen on ready ears and a heart that is open. So if there was something that struck a chord today, Please interact with the posts on social media that are related to this episode so that you can let that storyteller know about the impact that he or she had on you. If you haven't connected with us already on one of these platforms, you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram under the handle All I Know Podcast. Please remember that the ideas, opinions, and views shared today belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find fuel for working with in their own lives from every episode, it should be noted that this podcast is not a therapeutic intervention and it's not a substitute for advice or counsel from a mental health professional. All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, which is a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado, and our team works primarily with children and their families that have been impacted by developmental or early childhood trauma, and we specialize in adoption and foster care issues. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me, with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you're interested in developing a relationship as a sponsor for this project, or if you're interested in being a guest and one of our storytellers on All I Know, you can reach us at know at inwardboundco.com. And I give that to you one more time. All I know at inwardboundco.com. And you'll never miss an episode if you visit the website so that you can subscribe or follow the show through your preferred streaming platform. And 
the way to find us on the web is to go to allIKnow.podient.co. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. And in the meantime, this is Jen for all of us at the show reminding you, catch all the light you can.